0: The text I would like to call your attention to is found in 1 John chapter 5. So if you'd turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 5, we will pick up where we left off last week. So as you're turning there, remember that in the last weeks from this book of the Bible, from this letter from John, we have seen that Christians are to test every spirit because every teaching has behind it a spirit And every spirit is either from God or from the devil. And in the next week, we saw that God is love. And because God has loved us, we love one another. And then we come to chapter 5. And John, the apostle, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this, starting in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father Our faith. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, we praise your name that you have first loved us and that you call us to serve you. Father, I pray that your spirit would illuminate this scripture to us this morning, that we might understand you and how we are to live in light of what you have done for us. Father, I pray that you would guide me even now as I seek to open the text. Father, I pray that if anything unprofitable would come from my mouth, that it would fall away from these people's ears, and that only your truth would remain in their hearts as they leave this place. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Paul writes to the church in Corinthians, in Corinth, Corinth in 1 Corinthians, that it is important that stewards be found faithful that they be found serving faithfully. During his earthly ministry, Jesus tells his disciples to stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be ready. He states that a servant will be found serving faithfully if he is a faithful servant. He tells them a story about a master, and this master takes a trip, and this master gives his servants tasks to fulfill while he's away. And Jesus says that the the master who finds the servant faithfully serving will be honored when he comes back. So when this master comes back and he finds a servant working, he will honor him. However, there's another servant, one that says, my master will be a while getting back. He won't be back for a little while. All that stuff he gave me is not that important. And this servant starts to eat. He starts to act up. He starts to get drunk. And Jesus says he doesn't do his task, but he, this servant does what he wants to do. And Jesus says that when the master comes and finds this servant, that he will take him, that he will cut him into pieces, and that he will put him with the unfaithful. Friends, this morning, you must heed what Scripture says today because unfaithfulness and disobedience are running rampant in the church, in the church of Christ, in the Western church. I read a, a, a quote this week that I, I agree with. I think the man that said it is spot on, and he says, quote, only in the U.S. could a massive group of people Never read their Bible, barely attend church, if ever, rarely care to evangelize, yet still be 100% convinced that they will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant on judgment day. Friends, that should hit us in the gut. Even if you're serving, try, attempting to serve faithfully, that should hit you in the gut, That we call ourselves Christians and yet we do not follow Christ. So, friends, this morning ask yourself are you here today because you genuinely seek to serve the risen Christ? Or are you here at a tradition? Friends, do you actively partake in the ministry of a local church? Or do you attend occasionally to soothe your conscience? If you do partake in ministry is it for the honor and the glory of God? Is your desire to see your brothers and sisters built up in the gospel go forward or are you here simply to get recognition or to get attention? I would love to like to lay before you this morning that if God has graciously Called you to himself, then you are called to obedience. If God has graciously called you and you have repented and you have turned from your sin and you have believed in Christ, you have a new life, not like the old life, but you have been given a new life, then you are called to obey God. If you are a child of God, you will seek to obey his commands. And in this passage, we find three unchanging realities about the obedience of the elect. The elect love God and obey God's commands. The elect are not burdened by God's commands. They are not irritating to them. And the elect have forsaken their old ways. They have overcome the world, and so they follow God's commands. Remember, as we think about 1 John, that he is writing to a church to remind them of the basics of Christianity after false teachers have left. And John helps the church of all ages zero in on what basic Christianity should look like. Christians champion sound doctrine. They desire each other's good or love one another, and they pursue holiness These are not three arbitrary themes that John randomly pulls out of a hat because he thinks we should know about them, but they are themes that are tightly woven together. You cannot believe in Jesus and fail to love the Father. You cannot believe in Jesus and fail to love his bride, the church. You cannot love the Father if you ignore his commands in Scripture, and you cannot overcome the world if you do not believe in Christ. All three of these are tightly woven together. And here in verse 1, John reiterates two of these three main themes. Look with me back at the text. He says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So quickly, he summarizes two of the themes, the other themes. He says, first, believing in the Jesus of the Bible is essential for salvation. As Christians, we are to be people of truth. To us, truth matters. It's not relative truth. It's not my truth versus your truth. It's God's truth. Truth matters. We do not get to make up our own Jesus, but we must believe in the Jesus of the Bible, the real Jesus. The one who is truly God from eternity past and will always be God, but also is truly man who put on flesh when he came and was born of a virgin and died for our sins. We have to believe in that Jesus because it is the only one. And second, John reiterates, everyone who is genuinely saved will love the church. He says, everyone who is saved will love others who are also born of him. So it's impossible for me to call myself a Christian if I hate other Christians. As we read in last week's passage, if you love God, you will love his people. But we have to remember our love is not defined by the world. Our love is not one of inclusivity of everything the world says, but it is of loving them is to desire their good. And sometimes their good is to tell them that what you're doing will kill you. Love your brothers and sisters. Desire their good. And then we get to the third theme. Those who are called are called to obedience. As those who are called, we not only prize God's promises, we prize the fact that Christ says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that you'll spend eternity with me, that your salvation is secure. We prize that, but we also prize God's commands. And then in verses 2 and 3, we find three unchanging realities about the obedience of those whom God has called. First, we see that the elect love God and obey his commands. Would you look with me at verse 2? By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commands. Now, maybe you've heard someone say, as I've heard people say, You know, I don't want to be dogmatic. I just love Jesus. Or I just love God. But here we see that everyone who has been born again, everyone who loves God, loves his commands. Everyone who loves the one true and living God also loves what he says. It's one of the craziest distinctions the world tries to make that's not even there. There is no division between a holy and a just and an all-knowing God and what He says to us. He and His Word are not divided. True love has less to do with emotional experiences and more to do with commitment. Do you love God? Well, then you'll also love His Word. Look back with me at John 3.18, when John is talking about how we love each other. And he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. John says, if you truly love your fellow Christians, you will love them in deed and action, not just talk. As we talked about, a true Christian does not just talk the talk, but also walks the walk. But he says here, if you truly love God, you will obey his commands. You will love him in action, not just in talk. Not just, well, I just love Jesus. I don't want to be dogmatic and follow his word. Jesus tells his followers in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There is a contrast between merely hearing and doing. Friends, your head nod when I say that all of Scripture is breathed out by God because it's what the Bible says. It's not your affirmation. You affirm God's commands when you seek to follow them. Love for God is seeking to follow his commands. In Luke 6.46, Jesus asked his followers, Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Friend, if you do not desire from the heart to follow the commands of God, you have no reason to think yourself a Christian. And I don't say that lightly. Friend, if you have no desire to follow what God says, you are likely just as lost as the drunk who is in his bed at this very moment in town. There are no participation prizes in eternity. There are only those who are Christ's and those who are not. The genuine Christian obeys God's commands. They are not burdensome to him. So the second thing we see is that the elect are not burdened by the commands of God. Would you look with me at verse 3? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. God's commands for the true Christian are not a burden. We obey God in light of what he has already done for us. We do not obey to earn merit, but because we are saved, we now obey or seek to obey. Unlike the rules of the Pharisees, the yoke of Jesus is light and his burden is easy. In the first century, the Pharisees added so many rules to God's law that it made it impossible for anyone to keep them. Not that we could keep the law to begin with, but it made it even worse. They placed this yoke on the people that nobody could bear, but it is not so with Jesus. Jesus says to come to him and take his yoke upon us, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light, Matthew 11. Commentator Craig Bloomberg says about this, Like the yoke that couples oxen together, discipleship is not, does not exempt one from work but makes it manageable. He goes on to say, Jesus' requirements are no less stringent than those of the Jewish teachers, but they can be accomplished more readily because of the strength Christ provides. Through the Holy Spirit, Christians are not promised freedom from hardship, but but they may experience God's sustaining grace so that they are not crushed and they are not driven to despair. So friend, if you're here and you're a Christian, You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that indwelling Holy Spirit is sanctifying you and making it to where God's commands are not burdensome to you. They're not exasperating and they're not irritating. The true believer loves and obeys God's commands. The third thing we see is that the elect have forsaken their old ways and follow God's commands. Would you look with me at verse 4? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Everyone who has been born again is born into a new life. I think we say that so much that we forget that. That we have a new life, not like the old life, not like what we used to do. But we have a new life. A Christian is one who has been plucked from the realm of Satan and born into the family of God. New life. If you are a Christian, you will live differently than you did before. The reason we do not find the commands of God burdensome does not lie in the commands, but in this new heart, in this indwelling spirit that we have received. In our fallen state, we hate all of the things of God. The world cannot stand the commands of God, whether they be the Old Testament or the New Testament. The world sees the commands of, God's of it, uh, sees the commands of God as intolerant. The world sees the commands of God as a burden. The world is offended by the command of God. Everyone born of God, overcomes the world. And the Christian is not burdened by the commands of God because he has overcome them through faith in Christ, not by his own merit. The spell of the old life has been broken. We are no longer mesmerized by the things of the world. John Stott says the fascination with the world has been lost. It's lost its appeal. With our new heart and our eyes open, Christians find Christ altogether lovely. While we will always struggle with sin in this life, we have overcome the world through what Christ has done. A few months ago, I used an illustration by Paul Washer when he talks about, before you're a Christian, if this is sin and this is holiness, well, apart from Christ, we are headed straight for sin, arm in arm with our sin, for, the, for eternity in hell, happy and going that way. Before I, I was 30 years old, that was me. But once you become a Christian... It's as though you do an about-face, and you're still arm-in-arm with your sin, but now you're headed towards holiness, and it's pulling you back, and it is making you struggle, but you are on a trajectory towards obedience to God because of what He has done in you. Only those who truly believe that Jesus is the Son have overcome the world. Those whom Christ has saved and confess him as Lord have overcome the world. Which brings us back full circle in John's argument, in that threefold argument. Christians believe the truth about God. They desire the good of the church, and they seek to obey God. And they believe in Jesus Christ. John Sott says that if you were to take these three things, the circular argument that John has argued throughout the entire letter and were to stretch it out, Obedience would be at the center. He says at one end would be new birth and belief in Christ, that which has been given to you by God. And at the other end would be love of God and love of his people, but in the middle would be a desire to serve him and to obey him. And John gives us three unchanging realities about the obedience of the elect. The elect love God and they obey God's commands. The elect are not burdened by God's commands. And the elect have forsaken their old ways to follow God's command. If you're a child of God, you will seek to obey him. In the past years, I have been flabbergasted and brokenhearted over some of the things that people will say to justify their disobedience. Well, it doesn't matter how I live, Pastor. I know I'm going to heaven, just like that quote at the beginning. I love all the things of the world, but I'm in Christ. Quote, the Bible does not require obedience from those whom Christ have died for. That would be legalism. End quote. Friend, if you're adding anything to your salvation that you earn in order to be saved, that's legalism. But the idea that God would make a change in your heart and there would be no change in your life. No result from that salvation is not a Christian idea. Quote, the Sermon on the Mount is not for Christians, it's just for Jewish people, end quote. You can't make this stuff up. It's almost like saying, tell me you are not saved without telling me you are not saved. Because if you are called, you are called to follow. The communion of the saints are called to follow God's commands. People love to lament that there are no faithful churches anymore. And then when they find one endeavoring to be faithful, they lament that they aren't getting their way. Just listen to some of these. People want to be in a biblical church until they find out the church actually takes the Bible seriously. People want expository preaching until they find that the application of that passage denounces their lifestyle. People want a biblical worldview, but only if it condemns their biblical opponents. They're okay with a biblical worldview if you speak out against their opposite political party, but not when it confronts their bad behavior. People want a congregational church government until they realize that regenerate church membership will come with it. People want a reformed church until they find out they have to submit to elders. And people want to be in a healthy church until they find they will be held accountable by their fellow church members. Friends, the true church follows the commands of Scripture because true Christians follow the commands. Of Scripture. And this morning I want to lay before you before we leave three actions that will start you on a path to Christian obedience. Now, my goal here is not to oversimplify Christian obedience. As you read the New Testament, there are a litany of imperatives that we are to call to strive for. And so I don't want to oversimplify this. I don't want to come across as oh, I'm saying if you do these three things, you're good. But my intent is to give you three actions three disciplines, three healthy patterns that will help you as you seek to obey God. Now the first one, as you probably guessed, is that you need to know and obey God's Word. Know and obey God's Word. Know your Bible. In the Old Testament, the kings of Israel were to handwrite a copy of the Scripture for themselves. The first chapter of Joshua God tells Joshua, go into the land that I will give you and I will be with you. So he gives him this promise, I'm going to be with you. But then he also gives him a command and says that my scriptures should never leave your lips and that you should study them and that you should meditate them and be careful to do all that is in them. Paul tells Timothy, study to show yourself approved, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. You're to be trained in the words of God. You are to know the words of God. You are to preach the words of God. Because all of Scripture, all of the graphe is breathed out, theopneustos, breathed out by God and is profitable for instruction and rebuke and training and righteousness. But you don't just have to know the Bible. An obedient servant obeys the Bible. Christians, you are called to follow the commands of God And do you strive to do that? We have a lot of people sitting here today, I know, that would say, I don't think anybody here anymore, we've had a couple in the past, but I don't think anybody here anymore would say, you know what, God's word is not perfect and inerrant. But do you live like it? Do you affirm that you believe that it is breathed out by God by your lifestyle? James says that we are to be doers, not just Hearers of God's word. I was sharing with someone this week that most of the problems that we have dealt with in the past two years since I've been here have come down to this broadly. No one ever says, I don't believe the Bible. They say, I know the Bible says, but. Friends, you can deny the scriptures without using words, or you can deny the scriptures. By throwing in a but. But friends, I want you to know with the leaders of this local church, there is no but. This is the foundation of Whitecliff Church's ministry. It's God's word. We changed our bylaws because of it. If you want a psychologist, call a psychologist. If you want a lawyer, call a lawyer. If you want a new age charlatan, Go find one. There's a lot of them. But here, the Bible is the foundation of our beliefs. Saying that you are committed to God's Word and then running to the wisdom of the world is like telling your spouse you love them and then running to someone else's arms. We are committed to the Word of God here. When I was in seminary, our mentors urged us, nail down your ministry philosophy before you get to the local church from God's word. Why? Because when you get to the local church, they said, people will pull you in every direction. The first time you won't marry that deacon's granddaughter because of her lifestyle. The first time you won't maintain the status quo and that so-called legacy member starts telling you about how much she gives. What will you do? Well, here at this church, the leaders are staunchly devoted to the instruction of the Bible, and we are not divided one little bit on that point. Our consciences, like Luther, is held captive to the Word of God because it is breathed out. Second, covenant with a local church and attend regularly. Covenant with a local church and attend regularly. You need to covenant together with a local body of believers. It's almost a modern proverb to hear someone claim that they don't need to commit to a church to be a Christian. They say, show me in the Bible where it says I need to covenant to a local church. And I've spoke a lot about this in the past, so I won't belabor this point here. But I will say that you cannot read the New Testament faithfully and carefully and conclude that members can attend meetings all willy-nilly they were committed. And when a member sinned and would not repent, they were put out of the body. Like John Piper says, how can you put them out of of something they're never in? They'll just say, I just go here. You can't put me out. Christians are called to submit to their elders. How do you know which elders you're called to commit to? If you're not a part of a local church. Theologian John Hammett says, membership in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians is associated with union with Christ and the image of marriage, suggesting that church membership, like marriage, involves covenantal commitment. End quote. Josh Harris calls those who attend church meetings but refuse to join church daters. They have some sort of relationship with the church, but they are unwilling to make a deep commitment. End quote. Friend, I would humbly lay before you this morning that your skepticism over church membership has more to do with our anti-commitment spirit of the age than it does with a well-thought-out and researched understanding of the New Testament. But it's not just covenanting with, you have to attend. It's just like a marriage. Things don't go very well if you never come home. And if you covenant with the church and never attend, they don't go well either. The book of Hebrews states that Christians are to not forsake gathering together as the body of Christ. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. We are to covenant with and attend the local church because we are told to not give up gathering. That we are to use our spiritual giftings for the common good of the body. Each one of us has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit and we are to use it for the building up of this church. We are commanded to pray, to teach, to admonish, to encourage, to build up. The list goes on, and you cannot do that apart from the body. You need to covenant with a faithful local church. If not here, that's okay, but somewhere. You know, one of the hardest things for me during COVID is there were people that would say, Pastor, don't you close this church. The Bible says we're supposed to meet. Don't close this church. And then some of those same people would text me and say, it's a pretty day out, I'm going hiking instead of coming to church. You know what that tells me? That your commitment to God's word in that moment had more to do with politics than honoring God. Obedient believers covenant together and gather together, and obedient believers, third and finally, submit to discipleship and seek to make disciples. In the Great Commission, Jesus commands us to go make disciples of all nations, of people of every color, of every race, of every background. Jesus does not say go make converts. He doesn't say go make people who pray a one time prayer so you can check a box and report that back to the denomination, but disciples. Go and lead others to serve and to obey Christ's commands. He even says in the Great Commission, when he says, Go and make disciples, teaching them to what? Obey everything I have commanded. The Greek word for disciple means pulpit, or pulpit, pupil, or a philosopher's understudy. In the early church, it meant an adherent to Christ's teaching. A disciple is not merely a person whose name is on the church roll. It's not merely someone who advocates for a set of morals. It is not someone who argues a political agenda or pursues social causes for their community. But a disciple, as Everett Harrison says, is a believer, is a student of the school of Christ, one who is committed to a sacrificial life and fulfills the obligation to make disciples of others, end quote. Ask yourself this morning, friends, does that sound like you? Do you believe in the Christ of the Bible? Do you study God's Word? A disciple is a student. That means they are teachable. Are you? Or are you a know-it-all? Even now, are you submitting to God's Word? Or are you arguing in your mind and justifying yourself? Do you seek to live out what you learn and put aside your individual desires? And do you seek to see Christ's church build up? Because if you answer no, then I would lay before you that you are probably not a disciple of Christ. Christ did not come to check a list of people who pray a one-time prayer. But he come to build a congregation, an assembly, a church, a people whose main desire is to glorify God. And turned from their rebellion. And he is our archetypal example of obedience. Because he was obedient to the Father to the point of a cross. Jesus Christ eternally existent has existed forever. Fully God. One with the Father. There at creation. He came to earth born of a virgin. Born holy. Took on human flesh. Walked among us, but the difference between he and I is he is what humanity was supposed to be from the beginning. You and I are fallen, inherently sinful, but he never sinned. Sin never had a landing pad in his heart. He walked a perfect life, and yet he died on a cross for guys like me. Buried in a tomb. Rose after three days. Ate fish with his disciples. They felt his wounds. Still fully man. Ascended to heaven where he's at the right hand of the Father now. Interceding on our behalf. For Christians. Do you believe that? If not, I pray that you would. That you would turn to Christ. Christ. That you would turn from a life of sin and and pleasing yourself and looking to be recognized and wanting it all your way. You would turn from all that and turn to the one who died for you. Because you will never find love in the arms of the world like you find in the arms of Christ. And once you have truly repented and once you have believed, you will find submitting to God's commands a joy. It will not be burdensome. It will not be irritating. That you can't do the things you want to do that are against Scripture. When we read the Old Testament, we find a story of the nation of Israel who was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. And there was this man named Daniel. And before some of y'all cringe, I'm not going to tell you to dare to be a Daniel. But there was this man named Daniel who was taken into captivity. He was taken in to prison, and he was set before the king with some other guys to serve him, and they were required to eat foods that the Israelites did not eat. Many people would have said, you know, I'm lucky to be alive, a lot of my buddies from high school are not, and this king's wanting to give me a good position, I'm not in Israel anymore, I should just go along with it, but Daniel didn't. Because it was written in God's word that he wasn't supposed to. And he was willing to honor God up into his life. Now, we don't want to make Daniel into a Christ, but he chose to serve God and follow his instruction in that moment. Daniel was determined to obey God's word in the face of opposition. What about you? Will you obey God's word? Will you be obedient to what God says rather than follow your desires? Because, friends, it is one thing to bellyache about Hillsong and Bethel and Todd White and all of these guys online. And it is quite another to follow God's word within the covenant community. Don't tell me of your profound grasp of someone else's error when you are not attempting to follow the clear commands of Scripture within God's people. John teaches us that true Christians believe in Jesus Christ of the Bible. And that true Christians love other believers. That true Christians have the indwelling Holy Spirit who changes their heart and enables them to obey God and tells us that if you are called by God, this gracious God, that you are called to obedience.